On today's episode of Neyland's Basement, we will discuss what was a fairly interesting week one and dive into our winners and losers of the week. And then we will preview week two. Welcome back to Neyland's Basement. We are back here after what was a pretty fun week one, Dominic, wasn't it? I would definitely say it was the fun week one that we were looking for. A lot more uh, upsets and exciting things going on than I initially anticipated. Yeah, absolutely. I I didn't think that there were going to be too many games with true upset potential. and That was the case for the most part, but... There were a few that presented themselves that we will definitely discuss a little bit today. And it was definitely a poor, poor week for a lot of my takes, I got to say. Yeah. But that's week one for you. It happens. It's it's week one, like you just said. Okay. We are obviously here. This show is Neyland's Basement. We have to talk about Tennessee first. Number 12 Tennessee went into Nissan Stadium and just beat the doors down on Virginia 49-13. to Surprisingly, the offense was really not the high point of this game. It was actually Tennessee's defense. Yeah, I was really excited from what I saw with Tennessee's defense, which I kind of, this is one of my takes I felt I did better on, is that I kind of forecasted the fact that Tennessee's defense flat out would have to be better than last season's just because the amount of guys they've replaced and the amount of new faces that are there. There's just a lot more talent on this defense now that has begun to fill back up after the whole uh, you know, cash in hamburger bag incident. Yeah, well, obviously they looked good in this game. The rest of the team had some areas to clean up. Offensively, I think there were some things that Tennessee definitely could have done better. But, again, you don't complain too much about hanging 49 on the board, especially when you lost to Georgia State four years ago on opening day. So, all in all, not bad there necessarily. Ran the ball very well. Jalen Wright had 115 yards. Almost averaged 10 yards a carry, 9.6, I believe, was the number. And Dylan Sampson had four touchdowns in that game. That's the most by a Tennessee running back in a single game since John Kelly did it back in 2017 in the opener against Georgia Tech. So very good day for Tennessee on the ground. Yeah, pretty ridiculous day for running for Tennessee. And, I mean, I think – I feel like the offensive did. I feel like the offense did deceptively good for. Oh yeah. What we kind of watched because when you're watching the game, you're seeing an offense that just looks so different than what we got really used to with last season's Tennessee, where it was extremely explosive at all times. But this one was actually a bit more of a reserved offense, and it's interesting kind of seeing that change. And you know, it's it's extremely effective too. It put up a lot of points, and it didn't need a lot of style to do it. The ground game was just so powerful that. You know, we didn't need those bombs that we usually would see in a lot of games. I mean, there were a couple drop passes here and there. We had about, uh, I'd say, like three opportunities to get the ball deep. But, I mean, I'm very happy with what Joe Milton did. He did a very solid job. And then, obviously, the ground game, just the, the run blocking was incredible. Yeah, and I think the offensive line was an area in this game that people were initially very concerned about. 
But after their performance this weekend, I don't think you can be super concerned, and especially looking at some of the other offensive lines throughout the country right now, I don't think you can be too concerned about it. Now, obviously, you would like to have Cooper Mays in there, but, you know, they seem to hold up just fine. Yeah, they did a really nice job, and, I mean, with the pass block, I was a little bit more worried. They looked a little bit more... uh, they look to be struggling a little bit more with the pass protection than they did with opening up holes in the ground game because the run blocking looked a lot better, but there were times where Milton looked like he was a bit rushed in the pocket because it was collapsing a little bit early. Yeah, so I think there were definitely a few decisions that Joe Milton made in that game that could have been a little bit better, but overall not bad. But I think the one area that was of some concern in this game, like true concern, was... The kicking and punting. Oh, it was ugly. Yeah. A um, couple shanks from Jackson Ross, and you had two kicks out of bounds on kickoffs, which is it's not good. Yeah, no, it was really ugly to watch, and it was unfortunate because on the receiving end of special teams, we were almost perfect. D. Williams looked great, but he had that one fumble, which I don't know if I blame him a ton for that fumble. It was good defensive play. So there's that, but I mean, the kicking was abysmal. Uh, Jackson Ross just could not seem to get a punt off to save his life. And obviously he's an Australian. He's doing the weird rugby style kicking. And I've seen it done effectively many times before. Boise State used to do it a lot back in the day. And I've seen it done well. And it works really well when done well. But even when he had time and was getting the ball off it went no more than like what 30 yards yeah not even 20 sometimes so definitely concerned for Tennessee Josh Heupel however very very defensive of Jackson Ross in his press conference and you know hopefully it is something that they can fix and they will get better at over time now at the same time Josh Heupel doesn't really want to send his punter out onto the field so I don't it's hard to assess that but you know you hope for general improvement yeah, I mean, you, you have to. And then, obviously, with the kickoffs, it just it felt unnecessary uh, just how the special teams was executing because you you can have that sort of ideal of wanting to kick it in one corner or the other, but it was, you know, it was a bit short. It was a bit excessive. You might as well just kick it all the way in the back and take the 25 every time. Yeah, so, of course, Tennessee comes out here and, and just puts on a big win. It wasn't the case for every other SEC team this week, as we will get into here in just a second. We'll jump back to Thursday now. Number 14, Utah. They beat Florida 24-11 to at home to start the season. Utah scored on its first offensive play. They capitalized on a Florida penalty for their second touchdown. That was the one where the two guys were wearing number three on the field at the same time. You can't be doing that. And they capitalized on a pick that they had for their last touchdown of the game. But overall... They really didn't do that much on offense. I mean, they only have 50 yards of total offense in the second half. So you consider that. And, you know, Florida lost this game by double digits. Utah was without Cam Rising. So there was really just nothing that they did on offense that was just elaborate to beat Florida. Yeah, this game really wasn't necessarily won by Utah as much as Florida kind of gifted it to them. Oh, yeah. And as much as Utah did do a great job in taking advantage of those moments in this game, and without a doubt are the deserving winners, I mean, as a Florida fan, you have to be pretty upset. It was just a pretty abysmal showing from Florida. Lots of easy-to-clean-up mistakes, lots of just general, I don't know, it felt like there was apathy out there on the field. It didn't feel 
like there was any excitement that we're and, used to seeing from an explosive Gators team. And I think just the overall athleticism of this team felt a little down compared to what it normally is. So that's a concern. And I thought Florida going into this season would be a team that would try to pound the football a little bit on offense. They got stuffed for 13 yards in this game. They have one of the better running back tandems in the SEC. I, I really believe it. So rough there. And Graham Mertz, of course, is Graham Mertz. Not well. <laughs> he didn't. Aside from the pick, it wasn't the worst game he's had. No. But the athleticism difference between him and an Anthony Richardson can break a game for you. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's just. It's a combination of a lot of things for Florida right now. It's poor scheming, poor coaching, and... The it, offense is just archaic, yeah, I feel like. It doesn't feel like it has any life to it. And, I mean, with a guy like Graham Mertz, you kind of have to just give him a pocket to live in, and maybe he can make something happen. But it's really bad when you can't get any kind of ground game going because you don't really make the defense have to do anything. I mean, the defense didn't have to think in this one. They just needed to go out there on the field and basically wait for Florida to come to them. So that was the first game on Thursday that ended. The, the next one, my goodness, um, <laughs> Minnesota came back late to defeat Nebraska 13-10. to Cornhuskers led this game 10-3, to and Minnesota, they connected on what was really an awesome touchdown play late in the game. Daniel Jackson, you know, he's – He's got the ball, and he's, like, you know, not touched his feet out of bounds, but he's dragging that back foot inbounds. So really, really incredible athletic play from him. But I say this all the time, and it's true. You can't turn the ball over X amount of times and win the game. Nebraska did it four times here. Jeff Sims, their quarterback, had three interceptions that he threw. And keep in mind, the game was tied 10-10 at the game. Nebraska gets the ball back. They have a chance to win this game. But Sims throws a pick on that drive with time for Minnesota to go down and kick a field goal. So, I mean, you can't tell me that Nebraska's not cursed. Yeah, and I mean, the Big Ten is back. This just this game screams Big Ten. Big West Ten West is back. <laughs> yeah, this game screams, screams Big Ten football for me, and I was a little bit surprised by this one. I thought Nebraska would come out with a little bit more to prove, and, you know, they came out all right, and they had a great defensive game, but their offense just repetitively shot themselves in the foot. And, I mean, the, you can't really do anything with that. Like you said, turning the ball over that many times is just, not only is it terrible from a game management standpoint, it's a huge killer of morale. I mean, how can your defense continue to go out there if every time they see the offense with the ball, they're just thinking, oh, man, we're going to have to go out there in five more seconds just because these guys can't hold on to the ball. So Nebraska leads the FBS with 25 one-score losses and 16 blown second-half leads in the last five years. That's not cursed. I don't know what is. It's incredible. And, I mean, Matt Rule, give him some time, and I think we'll start to see some productive things come out of Nebraska. But, oh, it's a steep hill to climb over there in a place where there's not a lot of hills. Yeah, definitely the case. And I, I think Matt Rule will get better over time there. But... Certainly not the start you want to see. So that those were the two big ones on Thursday that we got. Friday, there was really only one, uh, if you'd call it, marquee game. Uh, Louisville came from behind to defeat Georgia Tech 39-34. Louisville trailed this game 28-13 at half, but Jamari Thrash scored a couple touchdowns in the second half, and a late fumble by Georgia Tech eventually led to a 74-yard rush touchdown by Louisville on the next play. 
believe they got up 39-28, and Georgia Tech did score a late touchdown. So, you know, kind of back-and-forth game there, obviously, with momentum swings. But, um, you know, overall, not a bad start to the Jeff Brom era in Louisville. Not at all. I mean, coming back from adversity is always impressive, despite the fact that I really did not think this Georgia Tech team was capable of coming out and scoring 34 points. This Louisville team still was able to come from behind and keep a level head on their shoulders, which that's always a great sign for a new head coach is when the team's able to do something like that. It usually means that the players are behind them and they're buying into the system. They believe. So great marks for Louisville, even though it's Georgia Tech, and they had to come back from quite a bit to get into this one. Right, so that that was the the game of the night on Friday. Now we jumped into Saturday, and this first game we're going to talk about with Saturday, this, this is by far, yeah, this is the story of the weekend, absolutely. Colorado, they shocked the world in Fort Worth. They beat number 17 TCU 45-42. to 42. As you can imagine, with that score, a lot of offense going on here. Chandler Morris, the TCU quarterback, threw for a little shy of 280 yards and a couple touchdowns, did throw two picks. And, you know, the running back ran for 164, and they had a, another running back with three touchdowns in this game. But Shadur Sanders, man, 510 yards and four touchdowns. Four Colorado receivers with over 100 yards in this game. Travis Hunter just excellent on both sides of the ball. And it all ends with Deion Sanders telling everybody in the media that they did not believe. Well, I certainly did not believe. I really thought that. I didn't either. I'd be one of those reporters he'd be calling out. Me too. Um, Real quick, though, I just think it's so funny how a lot of these personalities within the sports world think that everyone is against them, the media is so against them, and it's just so funny to me how this narrative is crafted that, you know, everyone is so down on them, which people were down on Colorado. But, Understandably, they were one in eleven yes, a season ago. Exactly, and it's not like they're taking personal shots. And then uh, these people act like it's so personal when it it's not whatsoever. And then couple that with the fact that everybody kind of hates the media these days to begin with. It's usually the poor little media guys who are taking the beating from uh, the players and the fans. So that's definitely a funny note there. But really, in this one, I mean, I have to eat my words. I totally thought Colorado was cooked this season. I thought there was no way. They would win more than a couple games, and here they here they come, just scoring a ton of points. I mean, the Sanders kid, incredible. <laughs> yeah, that, it's just shocking to see them going to TCU, a team that was this close last year. And yes, they have a lot of new pieces, but I really did not expect Coach Prime to get in there and you know really handle business the way that they did. So that's the story for Colorado this week, really the story of the week. So. It's not really uphill after that, but uh, we, we still have some great ones to discuss here. Uh, this Well, this first one's not so great. <laughs> no, it's not. Number 10 Washington beat up on Dominic's Boise State Broncos 56-19. Michael Penix, 450 yards, fit five touchdowns in this game, and he had two receivers go over 100 yards, which, you know, not very good for your Broncos. No, not at all. And, I mean, Washington was just able to get the offense going, and Boise State, unfortunately, did not have an answer this early on in the season. Taylor Green, still a young guy, still a lot to figure out over there, but I, I'm still not the biggest Andy Avalos fan, and I don't think that he's the guy to lead Boise State to the next uh, level of play that they have been able to be at in the past. 
Um, so I, I'm interested to see how the Avalos era plays out at BSU. And this is not the greatest mark of it because I feel like this is kind of a sign that Boise State will kind of have to settle into an era of mediocrity. Upper-level mediocrity. Yeah, especially with conference realignment because Boise, it's it's a large city now to, well, by my standards, <laughs> but it doesn't have a big media market around it. I mean, the next closest city to Boise is Salt Lake City. It's like three-and-a-half-hour drive, so there's really no media market around it, so conferences avoid it like the plague because they want eyes on televisions and they don't care about results on the field. So Boise State's just going to have to settle into this weird era where they're going to be able to win the Mountain West probably all the time, but they won't be able to get anywhere besides that. Yep, that makes total sense, unfortunately, for your Broncos. But we got to move on. Uh, This next game was kind of disappointing. I I thought we were going to see a lot more offense between these Two, uh, Houston, they beat UTSA 17-14. to I thought UTSA would for sure win this game. Uh, but if you're a Tennessee fan, you should be encouraged by the fact that Frank Harris, the dynamic quarterback from a couple the last couple of seasons for UTSA, he threw three interceptions in this game. So, uh, again, I always harp on turnovers, and, you know, he, he did it right here, and that, that's a pretty obvious cost for them because Houston really didn't do a whole lot in this, in this game just offensively to really – disrupt anything that UTSA could have done to win it. Yeah, I mean, this one I was surprised by too. I thought these were two high-scoring teams that were going to come in and really fight this one out, but UTSA just really losing all momentum with those interceptions. So obviously as a Vol fan, I look at this game and I get real excited because if a team is struggling to have a good offensive performance and you look at our defense from last week, I mean, the prospects are great. You love to see it, especially with our offense always being able to put up points. It's definitely a good sign. Yeah, so not a whole lot to go over with that one. Really not a whole lot to go over with this next one either. Number seven, Penn State. They beat up on West Virginia 38-15. Drew Allar, new quarterback for Penn State, 21 of 29, 325 yards, three touchdowns. His receiver, Keandre Lambert-Smith, four catches, 123 yards, and two touchdowns in that game. Pretty efficient right there. So I just think this is pushing Neil Brown closer to the exit, I think is the best way to put this. And I think that needs to keep on happening because Neil Brown's not going to do anything at West Virginia. And what I look at this one and what I try and take away from it is looking at Penn State and seeing where they're going to end up in this whole race for the playoffs because they do have Ohio State and Michigan on the schedule, and there is that distinct possibility I talked about earlier on the show where they could all beat each other and be tied for the number one spot. Yeah, it definitely is. So that game, not too much to take away from it other than that West Virginia may need to make a coaching change and that Penn State is still probably one of the better teams you're going to see in the Big Ten right now. So moving on down here, here's our first real upset of the weekend. Texas State goes into Waco and beats Baylor 42-31. to Really, this was just all about Baylor not being able to keep up. And here's it's kind of crazy because Dave Aranda is a coach that prides himself on his defensive abilities, yet he's giving up 298 yards and three touchdowns through the air to a guy in TJ Finley that Auburn had to get rid of because he was just so bad for them. So it... That, that's a low point right there for the Dave Aranda era, in my opinion. 
<laughs> I don't think that's just in your opinion. I think that's a basic fact at this point. I mean, losing to Texas State is bad, but losing to a <laughs> an ex Auburn quarterback that feels got even run worse. Out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's not named Bo Nix, by the it, way. Exactly. So. DJ Finley is not a guy anyone expected to do anything. But I, I love these kind of stories where these quarterbacks, they have poor seasons and they're forced out of the programs that they were at. And they end up just bouncing back from it in a great way. And TJ Finley starting the campaign off very nicely for this Texas State team that, you know, they could do well in their conference. Yes, that's the first of a couple of group of five upsets that we saw this weekend. Not an all-around terrible weekend for the Mountain West, as we will figure out here. Wyoming outlasted Texas Tech 35-33 in double OT out there in Laramie. Tyler Shuck, the uh, Texas Tech quarterback, he was 31 of 47 for 338 yards, a couple touchdowns and one pick. But the Red Raiders, they got up 17 early, and then that lead just disappeared after the third quarter, and it was just back and forth. And then, of course, Wyoming goes for two, and they get it done. So... This is not a good look for Texas Tech, I don't think, because a lot of people were fairly high on them to at least compete at or near the top in the Big 12 this year compared to what they usually do, and this is certainly not the start you want to see. Oh, absolutely, and I was I was not one who understood the hype behind Texas Tech, and this just kind of confirms what I was thinking. I, I didn't think there was any reason to have hype behind Texas Tech. They seemed average at best last season. They didn't seem poised for anything. I... So this one doesn't necessarily surprise me a ton, but it's incredible for this Wyoming program that, you know, it's it's extremely hard to be Wyoming in this modern college football world oh, yeah. because no one in the world wants to go out to Laramie. I mean, it's a lot of people think Wyoming and they think, you know, the beautiful Tetons and everything. I kind of think it would be fun to go to a game in Laramie for oh, some reason. It, it would be a blast to go out there, but I mean, Wyoming for the most part is just a huge flat plain. It's windy. It's ugly. It's, you know, it's a tough place to be. And so it's always special to see that Wyoming team doing well, because that's one of the things that that local community can rally around. Absolutely. So that's the first of a couple Mountain West upsets. We'll get to the other one here after this next game. I just want to quickly gauge your thought on this Ohio State-Indiana game. Uh, number three, Ohio State gets the win. Only 23-3, to though. They didn't cover the spread by any means. And Ohio State quarterback Kyle McCord, of course, this is going to be, or was his first game, rather. Um, 239 yards and an interception for him. Didn't throw a touchdown pass in this game. So is this a red flag at all do we think he'll improve from this but I, I just don't think indiana is a team that should really be standing in your way as much as it did with ohio state it's kind of weird to look at and it's hard to really gauge because i feel like ohio state always has one or two of these games against lowly big 10 opponents i mean we saw it last year with northwestern um where they did not win by all that much yeah. that, so, well, conditions did true. not help them but th I, they don't really have that excuse this time around it's true, but I feel like this is kind of a trademark of Ohio State to not play incredibly against the lower Big Ten opponents, but then play quite well against the mid-tier teams. So I don't know really what to make of it at this point. Uh, Kyle's still young. He's got some time. They can turn this around. But, I mean, I'm always praying on Ohio State's downfall, so hopefully they're terrible. All right. The other Mountain West upset, Fresno State. They won at Purdue 39-35. Not a good start to the Ryan Walters era up there in West Lafayette. 
Hudson Card was good and he's fine in that game. He's yeah, had 254 yards, two touchdowns through the air, not anything earth shattering. Most of that was Deion Burks, though. Four catches, 152 yards, and two touchdowns for him. But Mikey Keene, the quarterback for Fresno State, 366 yards, four touchdowns in the game. His receiver, Eric Brooks, had nine catches for 170 yards, two touchdowns, one of which was the game winner. So my question here, obviously this is the question that everybody's going to be asking with some of these upsets. Is Fresno State going to be at or near the top of the Mountain West this year, or is Purdue not what we thought they were going to be? I think that this bodes well for Fresno State, even though I think that Purdue is going to be quite bad. And I, I'm not sure anyone was thinking that they would have a decent season, especially after uh, losing their coach. It's it's hard for a Purdue team to come back from that. There's not a lot of things that pull people to West Lafayette. So I think that Purdue is going to be near the bottom of the Big Ten for a while, but Fresno State looked really good in this one, and they're always a program that does well in the Mountain West, especially at the quarterback position. They've produced a lot of good talent over the years. I mean, guys like Derek Carr, and then, of course, uh, their guy throwing the ball now, Mike Keene, looked phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So not all bad for the Big T- or Mountain West. My goodness, why am I trying to call them the Big Ten? The Big Ten did not have a good weekend in that <laughs> game at the very least. So. Uh, one more game for you on Saturday. Number 21, North Carolina defeated South Carolina 31-17. to That game played in Charlotte. Drake May was, I guess, fine. Eh, maybe not fine. Two picks is not fine. But, you know, 269 yards and a couple touchdowns through the air is not bad. They ran the ball all right, too. I mean, they're starting running back at 103 yards in the game. So, fine for them on the ground. Not so much South Carolina, though. Spencer Rattler, man, I feel bad for Spencer Rattler. He had to do everything by himself in this game. He had, let's see, 353 yards through the air. But on the ground, South Carolina, they had negative two rush yards. That's on 31 attempts. Now, I recognize a lot of that is sack yardage, but it just felt like every time South Carolina snapped the ball, there were at least two guys just penetrating that backfield with ease. Yeah, it kind of felt like the South Carolina offensive line was just taking tickets to the back seat uh, and just letting them right through. It was really ugly to watch, honestly. And I mean, uh, you know, as a Vol fan, I got to love it a little. But you do feel bad for Spencer Rattler because he really played his heart out in this one and did everything he could. And getting 353 yards with an offensive line that terrible is just remarkable, honestly. and and he usually is the center of blame, right? We've talked about how he was supposed to be this just highly touted recruit coming out of high school and, you know, going to South Carolina, maybe a change of scenery would be good for him. And, again, you can't fault him in this game like you have been able to in the past. It's all about that O-line. I mean, it, like, I've, I've never seen an O-line block as bad as this one has, at least in the last couple of seasons. Yeah, it's it's honestly ridiculous. And, I mean, it's not the best look for North Carolina either. It's a good win for them for sure. But Drake May, like we talked about last week, it's a matter of finding consistency. And a guy like him, he's going to throw for a lot of yards, but you just don't know if the ball is going to be safe. Okay, so that's all we got for Saturday. Sunday we did have one marquee matchup. It was between number 8 Florida State and number 5 LSU. I thought for sure LSU would be able to come into this game and really 
you know, get that revenge that they've been seeking for over a year now. But no, it was quite the opposite. Florida State surged in the second half. They won that game 45-24. to Jaden Daniels, you know, not his cleanest game by any means. He threw for a decent amount of yards, but he just made some dumb decisions, including one decision where he decided to jump in the air and try and hurdle a guy and just got mauled in the process. Jordan Travis had a great game, I thought. You know, 342 yards, four touchdowns through the air. Ex-Michigan State Spartan Keon Coleman, nine catches, 122 yards, and three touchdowns for the Knowles. Johnny Wilson also had over 100 receiving yards as well in this game. So, good-looking win for Florida State. And I just kept thinking that entire game about LSU. There's just so many plays that happened throughout the course of that game that reminded me a lot of that Tennessee game down there in Baton Rouge last year. Yeah, just an ugly look for LSU. And I really thought that Florida State was pretty overhyped, but it's this one's a little bit hard for me to gauge because I really do think that LSU let this one down as much as I do think that Florida State played a phenomenal game. So I'm still a little bit reserved on Florida State, but their schedule now looks so easy, especially with what happened on oh, Monday. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into this now that you just said that. Uh Duke upset number nine Clemson yesterday, 28-7. to Did not see this one coming at all. Clemson just continually shot itself in the foot. You lose two fumbles twice within the Duke five, so you're about to score there, and you just give it away. And then Cade Klubnick, on one of the later drives in the game, threw a pick. So it, this game was awful for that reason, and you had two missed field goals early on in the game as well. So, clearly they haven't recovered from their kicking was from the Orange Bowl. We can get that out of the <laughs> way. And this this was a historic loss or eh, more of a historic win for Duke over Clemson. And the reason I say that is that's the first time they've beaten a top 10 ranked opponent since 1989. That was actually against Clemson that season. It's the first time they've ever beaten a top-10-ranked opponent in their season opener. So impressive stuff for a program like Duke that is not really expected to compete at a high level year in and year out. However, I think there have to be some alarm bells going off in Clemson. Yeah, I really think that Clemson is just struggling to adjust to this new era of college football. They did well adjusting to the playoff, but... Oh, man, the transfer portal, NIL. They, they don't be, want to use the transfer portal. Yeah. and, it and really, Just utter refusal. It really seems to be hurting Dabo, and this is a guy that threatened in the past to quit college football if they started paying players, and it seems like he's beginning his silent exit from the sport. I mean, the guy he's, just— He's, like, quitting without quitting. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Exactly, and, I mean, the guy just has not been able to get it together. I, last season should have been a very solid season for Clemson. Uh, a lot of people putting the blame on DJ Uyangalale, but now the blame it's starts not, to fall on the real person. It's not the DJ. It's not DJ's fault at all. And I— what I'm seeing out of Clemson right now is that there's just been a steep drop-off, particularly in the talent of the wide receivers, I feel like, because there have been years recently where they've just had a couple guys that you can just pick out that are NFL-caliber receivers, like your Sammy Watkins, your uh, DeAndre Hopkins, um, T. Higgins. So 
it's not so much that they they've lost everything there. I mean, I think Will Shipley's still a very solid running back, but it's kind of similar to what we're seeing at Alabama, although I think it's actually worse with the receiving core right now. Like, I just can't pick out a guy that I can say, that dude is going to be on an NFL roster because, I, frankly, it's just not there. Yeah, the skill positions are hurting sorely at Clemson, and that's that's kind of what's leading to their downfall, I feel, because they don't have guys who can step up and make a play when the team needs it. As much as – and what was interesting to see for me personally was after watching the Orange Bowl last year, I thought that Clemson was going to be a pretty solid team. I thought Klubnik yeah. looked like a really solid quarterback. He was like – It's just he, like they're young at that point. Yeah. You're expecting that they can go up from there, but getting yeah. field stormed – on the road against what is essentially well, the not, ACC's version of Vandy. It's, it's not field storming. They're just meeting at the paw. Oh, they're not meeting at the paw at Duke. <laughs> Absolutely not meeting at the paw there. Nope. And just an ugly program, perhaps destroying loss for Clemson at this point. Very, I don't. It very well could be. I don't know how they recover from this one. Uh, as much as they have a ton of talent on their team, Maybe not in the skill positions, but everywhere else, it's very hard to say what happens because I don't think that Dabo's going to be able to do anything for him, so I don't know how they move on. Yeah, so they actually plummeted in the AP poll, if you saw that earlier today. They're down to number 25. Still higher than... No, wait, Duke did jump them, didn't Duke they? Duke did jump them. Thank that's, God. That's in the AP poll. They're down there at 25. Tennessee has actually jumped in there at number 9 at, in the top 10, so... Uh, not looking bad there at all. LSU down to 14 right now, which is a little generous, yeah, I feel. Yeah, there's some generosity to it. I think there's definitely potential for Brian Kelly to win more games, and I think a 9-10 win season is very much on the table, although it, Brian Kelly just for some reason is one of those coaches. He just freezes like a deer in headlights when things get ugly in games, yeah. and it can get bad, and that Florida State game is a perfect example uh, of him just not knowing what to do. Same thing with that Tennessee game, the Texas A&M game last year. So I think 14 yeah. has some generosity to it. And going back to that one real quick, I what shocked me most about the Florida State LSU game was I was expecting from a Brian Kelly team a lack of mistakes and a little bit more polishedness. I thought that was something that Brian Kelly was a little bit more adept at. Yeah. But – it, they just made way more mistakes than Florida State, and I I thought it would be the other way around. I thought that Florida State was the team that was going to have talent and make a lot of mistakes that eventually cost them the game, but flip, script flipped. Absolutely. So the only other notable changes in the top 25 that I'm aware of are the fact that Duke and Colorado are in now, like you said earlier, Duke was going to be in. I guess R.J. Young wasn't really that wrong. With Colorado in the end, it, we called him a maniac, and so, somehow he was right. I'm just waiting for them to, to lose to, like, Oregon or USC later in the in the season, and it it just completely go off the rails. Yeah, and maybe there's a downfall still in Colorado just because TCU lost a lot of guys last it season. It did. It really so did. So maybe, maybe this isn't the greatest game to judge him on. Maybe TCU is more down than we originally thought. Yeah, so week one – Overall, didn't have a ton of marquee matchups. Of course, we mentioned there were a couple of upsets in there to kind of shake things up. But overall, not a super interesting slate. This slate we're about to get into, though, in week two, I feel like is a lot more interesting. I am definitely inclined to agree. There's a lot of a lot of exciting stuff on the table. 
and just the matchups that I feel like we don't usually see. Yeah, so starting off on Friday, actually, two teams that we talked about a lot last year that we didn't really expect to be good, but they ended up just being very pleasant surprises. Illinois at Kansas. Illinois just barely got by Toledo in week one. I believe the score in that game was 30-28. Man, what's what's the deal with Brett Vilma struggling against Toledo? He lost to them at Arkansas, too. (laughs) I don't know what the deal is with that. Uh, Kansas, on the other hand, they won by over 30 against Missouri State. FBS, FCS, that's what you should expect. Who's going to win the game here? I'm inclined to believe the Jayhawks will. I'm really still pretty hot on this Kansas team. I think they're a very solid crew, and I think that they just have the excitement that Illinois does not. Illinois is uh, more of a classic Big Ten team. Yeah. And I feel like in the modern age of college football, the more exciting team usually tends to win, except for at the highest of high levels. Um, I just feel like Kansas has a lot more in it, especially at home. Yeah, so they return Devin Neal from last season, who was very dynamic uh, running back last season. I'm trying to think. Do they bring back Jalen Daniels? Yeah, he may just be hurt or something. They have Jason Bean, the legendary Jason Bean, starting at quarterback right now. So I, I'm i thinking Kansas is going to win this game just because they do have more to them as well. I will agree with you here. Uh, that will definitely not be the case further on down. But, yeah, I like the Jayhawks here. So – on to the Saturday matchups now. We'll start off with number 12, Utah at Baylor. This is their first ever meeting. I was already going to pick Utah to win this game, but after what I saw last week, I'm definitely picking Utah to win this game. Yeah, same here. Uh, I mean, they could realistically win this game by 60 points, and I would not be surprised. All right, next we've got Nebraska at number 22, Colorado. This is historically an old Big 12 matchup, soon to be old and new Big 12 matchup. That's as weird as that sounds because you got Colorado who is left and is going to return next season. The Huskers lead the series 49-20 to all time. However, Colorado did win a pair in 2018 and 19. And after what I saw last week, I'm going to pick Colorado to win this game. This is a very fun rivalry, and I... I'm having a hard time picking against Colorado here, especially at With, home. You just know Nebraska's cursed. You yeah. know they're cursed. At Folsom Field, it's in Boulder. It's a tough one, but you know what? I I want to pick Nebraska. I want the Cornhuskers okay. to win this one because I feel, I feel like there's still something there. I feel like Nebraska has to turn it around at some point. And I feel like this is a real I feel like this game has real potential to be a program defining matchup, believe it or not. That's a little bit sad, I feel, huh. for Nebraska fans. Yeah. But it's it's set up to where I feel like it could have similar implications to kind of the Tennessee Bama game. Not on the same scale by any means, but for this Nebraska f- program that's been down in the mud and has just looked horrible. Uh, this is a very historic rivalry, I feel like, where these teams were going at it for quite some time and being high-level competitors. So I think that this one, I think Nebraska just figures out a way to win their first game in the Matt Rule era. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, Deion Sanders looks like a guy that is going to lead his team to another win here, to me at least. I mean, we'll, we'll just see. We'll, we'll see with these two teams because we don't know a whole lot about them right now. We're just still trying to feel them out. That's kind of how, mm-hmm. how you do it in the early part of the season. 
But I'm looking forward to watching these teams go at it w- with one another on Saturday. Another Pac-12 team here for you. Actually, another Pac-12 and Big 12 matchup here. You've got number 13, Oregon, going to Texas Tech in Lubbock. Oregon, we didn't talk about last week because they were playing, I think, like Portland State. They won that game 81-7. to And after what I saw last week with Texas Tech, I'm, I'm going to say Oregon goes in there and wins. I don't really have a specific margin of victory I'm looking at. I'm just thinking Oregon's going to win it because I think the Bo Nix revival has been very good, and I think we're going to see it continue into this week. I think you're right. I think that really what Bo Nix needed was confidence, and the one place that will destroy your confidence if you do anything bad is Auburn, and we saw that as soon as he left, yep. he started playing quite well. So I think that Bo Nix really is quite a player, and I think that Oregon takes this one quite easily. How easily is a bit of a question just because Portland State is a program yeah. where I didn't even know they had a team. Portland State is... They almost beat Arkansas with Chad Morris now. <laughs> I think Arkansas only won that game like 20 to 13. Arkansas has been having weird struggles lately, it feels. Uh, not that bad anymore. Not not that bad anymore, but still, it's interesting to see a program like that struggling. <laughs> yeah. All right. Number 19, Wisconsin at Washington State. These two got together last year. Washington State actually went into Madison and won it 17 to 14. You think they can do it again? <sighs> I think there's a shot they do it again just because it is in Pullman. Um, the Cougs, they're a fun team, and I like cheering for them just because they're up there on the Palouse with the University of Idaho, which uh, a lot of my friends go to. So I, I like Pullman for Washington State in this one. Whether or not they win it, it's a good question. Wisconsin still has a lot to prove this season, and I don't, I don't know what to make this Wisconsin team yet. I think they could be really good, but... Then again, there's a lot of teams that we've chalked up to be real good that have failed, and Washington State's a solid team. They're playing at home. Uh, they're playing the death of the Pac-12. Maybe they win this one. You know, I'm, I'm going to say Wisconsin wins this one because I think Wisconsin, they'll obviously have to prove themselves in this game, but I think that they actually have what – feels like a happy marriage between a guy and Phil Longo and Luke Fickle up there. Just a, a good, uh, you know, stylistic combination there that they didn't have under Paul Christ. And, you know, Paul Christ was on the way out at that point in the year too, right? Because he only lasted another game or two until they got run through by Illinois at home. And then, you know, it was just a matter of time before they kicked him out of there. So I'm going to go with Wisconsin to win this one. I think that they will ultimately get their revenge. Up next, we got what's... Oh, man, this does make me a little sad. This is a rivalry game that is about to die because of conference realignment. Stanford at number six, USC. USC is going to win this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lead the series 63-34 all time. They won it 41-28 last year. I believe that game was, yeah, it was in Stanford. Uh, but, you know, Stanford's just got a lot of rebuilding to do. I, ca- I can't pick them right now. Yeah, I don't think anyone in their right mind can pick Stanford right now. Even though USC's defense still looks incredibly questionable, Stanford's offense doesn't exactly look present. Oklahoma State at Arizona State. These two teams met last season in Stillwater. Oklahoma State won it 34-17. Both teams were fairly unimpressive against FCS opponents. I think Arizona State only won by three against Southern Utah and Oklahoma State won by two touchdowns against Central Arkansas. So, you know, I 
I'm having a hard time with this one. What do you think, Dom? I feel like Oklahoma State wins this one. I feel like Mike Gundy's just the better coach, and by all means, they should win this one. Uh, Arizona State, we talked about their bowl ban last yeah. week, and I think that that team just has nothing to play for right now, and it showed out on the field last week uh, going against a team that should be much lesser than them, did not look that impressive. I feel like Oklahoma State is just the type of program that wins in these situations as opposed to Arizona State being a program on the demise for at least a little bit. Yeah, usually Arizona State is a team that you can rely on to have a tough home field advantage. And I think going into this game, I was thinking, you know, with Oklahoma State kind of crashing and burning last season that maybe Arizona State has some upset potential here. But you, you throw in the fact that there's just not much to play for and also just the fact that they had an ugly win last week or, yeah, ugly win last week. I'm going to say Oklahoma State takes care of business here uh, just because I, I just don't see a way that they can – you know, have a good season when you essentially have nothing to play for. So, moving on here. Oh, man, this is a fun one <laughs> for the psychos out there that hate offense and hate good-looking football. Iowa at Iowa State. The Hawkeyes lead the series 46-23 to in the Cyhawk Trophy. Iowa State won last year 10-7. to That was in the... Uh, few weeks in which Iowa really did not want to play offense at the beginning of the season last year. Neither team really looked good in their matchup in week one either. I mean, Brian Ferentz missed his uh, <laughs> his number by one, yep. one point. He missed it by one point. Um, and then Iowa State, they barely beat North. Well, not really barely. 30-9 to nine was the final score in that game. But they're playing without their quarterback now because he's gotten in some pretty serious legal trouble here. So... Any, what do you think about the Seahawks trophy, Dom? Do you think that there is going to be an ugly game, or do you think we're actually going to see some half-decent-looking football to the eyes? It's a weird matchup, especially this year. It always feels like a weird matchup when uh, Ferenc is coaching. So I'm not entirely sure what to make of this one, but I'm feeling... I'm feeling like Iowa State continues to trend. I just feel like Iowa is a program that is slowly sinking and needs some change because they've been kind of trending in this direction for a while with just the horrendous offense and the seeming incapability to adapt to any kind of modern football game. I just feel like Iowa State, especially at home, has the better shot. I think that it's going to be a 6-4 Iowa State win. Every single point will be scored <laughs> off of safety. No way. No way. If it happens, I I got to go to the lottery and win. <laughs> Give me Iowa to win this game. I don't even know why. It's going to be an ugly game. Yes, I was not asking that as something that I thought was going to happen. I was just hoping that it would happen. But you know what? It's going to be ugly, but I feel like Iowa's going to get the win. Up next, we got Cincinnati at Pittsburgh. This is an interesting one. Two teams that don't play all the time, although they did play every year from 2005 to 2012. What, why'd they play then? What do you mean, why'd they play? Wasn't there a conference that existed back then? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Rest in peace, the football Big East. <laughs> one of the strangest conferences out there, I feel like. One that never made a whole lot of sense and is it has a funny place in my mind because Boise State actually 
was in talks to move to the football big east there for a little bit and then it collapsed promptly after <laughs> oh man poor football big east man it, it is a conference that i wish could be back but it it died uh but yes they played every year from 2005 to 2012 because they were both a part of the big east i'm having a hard time figuring out who i want to take here because both of these teams beat up on fcs opponents last week cincinnati's lost a lot Pittsburgh hasn't really got a lot coming back either. I'll, I'll just go with Pittsburgh to win a yeah. fairly moderate scoring game, if that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like I'm right there with you. I don't know enough about either of these teams right now, but I do know that Pat Narduzzi's a solid head coach. Cincinnati just lost Luke Fickle. Um, I feel like Pittsburgh is more in position to succeed right now than Cincinnati is, and they're playing at home. I just feel like Pittsburgh's going to be, be coming out on top of this one. Number 10, Notre Dame at NC State. These two actually split both ends of a home-and-home in 2016 and 17. Wolfpack won last week 24-14 at UConn. Not their prettiest victory, especially over a UConn team that's not stellar right now. Uh, And then you've got a Notre Dame team that has really just cakewalked their way through Navy and Tennessee State. But I still think Notre Dame will win this game. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I think that NC State lost a lot last season. Uh, Devin Leary, obviously gone now. And he he did not play a ton last season, however. But I just feel like Notre Dame is actually looking like a very solid team right now. Uh, Sam Hartman looks great for him. The offense just seems to be running extremely effectively. And NC State's win against UConn was less than impressive. So I got to go with Notre Dame. Here's a fun one because I've got a couple of friends that go to each of these schools. Purdue at Virginia Tech. Hokies destroyed the Boilermakers in West Lafayette the last time they played. That was in 2015, I believe. The score was something like 51-24. VT beat, you know, they're their tough rival that beats them every now and again, Old Dominion, 36-17 <laughs> last week. But I... I, for some reason, want to say Virginia Tech's going to win this game. I, I don't know why. Even though after what I saw last season would not lead me to believe that at all. I mean, Purdue had a rough start to their year. I kind of kind of think Virginia Tech will have a chance to win this one. I think so, too. I'm, I'm on the side of Virginia Tech in this one as well, actually, especially being played in Lane Stadium. Um, and every time I think of Lane Stadium... <laughs> That's actually not what I think of, believe it or not. I think of that image uh, that's a it's a screen cap of a TV broadcast where it says that the Virginia Tech offensive coordinator, well, the offensive and defensive coordinators are trapped in the elevator. Oh, yes, trapped in the elevators <laughs> in Old Dominion last season. And they had to start the game late because uh, the coordinators were stuck in the elevator. <laughs> that's so. just unreal. You know, if, if you got a team that sticks their coordinators in the elevator, I just feel like they got to they got to have something going for them, and I'm pulling for Virginia Tech in this one. I think that Purdue, just losing their coach, I think that this program is really going to be on the downturn for the next little bit. Getting into the SEC now here, this is a, a sneaky good matchup in New Orleans. Number 20 Ole Miss going at it with number 24 Tulane. These teams kind of play each other off and on. The Rebels lead the series 42-28 to all time. Have not lost since 1988, but... We can't mention this without recognizing the fact that this is a much different Tulane program than what we are accustomed mm-hmm. to seeing. Yeah, this Tulane program looked phenomenal last season, picking up the win against USC in the uh, Cotton Bowl, I believe it was. 
Yes. Um, just very, very solid program turnaround. This is a team that has been having a lot of fun, and this should be a really interesting matchup because both these teams can run the ball pretty well. Uh, and Ole Miss has really been relying on that ground pound game. So I'm interested to see how these styles sort of clash because Tulane, I feel like, is a bit more explosive, more excitement, but Ole Miss is just going to drive the ball down the field with that run game. I got to... I don't know who I take in this one, actually. But Tulane won, I think, 37-17 against South Alabama. Meanwhile, uh, Ole Miss was just toying with Mercer. 73-7 was the final in that one. It is at Tulane, but that's not the biggest home field advantage. No, but so. Ole Miss is not really a home field advantage either. It's true. Of, I mean, you know, they don't they don't all go to the games. They all just get – they just have their time in the Grove, and then they show up for a quarter, and then they're just too tired to even sit through the game. Yeah, I feel like I take Ole Miss in this one, though. I As much as I want to pick Tulane, I think that Ole Miss just has the type of – offense right now that's going to counter what Tulane has going on I feel like Ole Miss is going to hold on to the ball a lot especially with the clock change rule I think that it's going to create some problems for Tulane yeah I'm I'm going to go with Ole Miss too I, I don't know what it is exactly but I think we're going to end up with a really good game down there but at the end of the day I think Ole Miss will make it 43 to 28 all time this next game, we're really going to learn a lot about these two teams mm-hmm. uh, after this one's through. Number 23, Texas A&M at Miami. These two met last season in College Station. The Aggies won it 17-9. Both teams handled business pretty easily in week one against group of five opponents. I'm having a tough time reading this one just simply because I don't know what to expect from either of these two teams because they both of them are in the same boat. They have the talent to succeed, but... They just didn't last year. They both went 5-7, and seven, didn't even get to a bowl. Yeah, it's kind of the matchup of hopefuls here, helping to turn what they thought would be incredible seasons. Uh, the, <laughs> I don't know what I was trying to say there. Uh, forgive me. I'm yeah, a little just, bit tired. Just have after, good and just have some good seasons. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit tired after uh, that beautiful Tennessee victory. Stayed out there in Nashville for a little bit. And you know how that goes. But with this game, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, it's a fun neutral site at Miami's home field (laughs) because those games always end up being a bit of a neutral site just because Miami's home field advantage is horrific. Miami fans do not care about the U uh, unless they are a national championship team. And this team's far from it. I take Texas A&M in this one. I think that Jimbo and... uh, Oh, man, I'm forgetting his coordinator's name. Bobby now. Petrino, Mr. Motorcycle Man. Yep, Mr. Petrino and Jimbo, I think they're going to take care of business. I mean, is there much more of a Texas A&M name combo than that? Jimbo and Petrino, wow, just incredible. I'm not going to disagree with you, actually. I'm going to go with Texas A&M here as well. That that may be a mistake. We might be cursing them. But, you know, I again, I, I don't really know what to expect in this game, but I think A&M has still got a little bit more talent to it right now than Miami does, so... Again, we'll just have to wait and see with this one. I really do think this could be a coin flip by the time it's all said and done. All right, Arizona at Mississippi State. These two met last season in Tucson. Bulldogs won pretty convincingly, 39-17. to Both of these teams had no issue with FCS opponents last week. And it's, it's going to be interesting. This is the first real test of the new Zach Arnett era at Mississippi State. And Arizona's a team that I felt like you know, they didn't make it to a bowl last year, but they came around as the year went on, I felt like. 
Yeah, Arizona's looking better than they have been. Uh, there was that 0-12 season not too long ago, so this program has an extremely low floor, and any improvement feels great. Even not making a bowl game, going 5-7 and is a good look for them. So in this one, I do have to lean Mississippi State just because I feel like even though Arizona's trending a little bit up, I think that playing it at Davis Wade Stadium and then just, you know, it is, it is a team that has a good bit to play for. Uh, they're still bouncing back from the tragedy of losing Mike Leach. And I think Arnett's a good coach, too. I think that this program is going to do all right for this year. Give me kind of an ugly game, but I think Mississippi State's going to end up with the win as well. I, with this game being out there, you know, having to play with the Cowbells is tough, uh, especially if you're not in the SEC and you're not used to it, you know, year in and year out. So definitely going to go with Mississippi State just because I think there will be an advantage there. Another SEC Pac-12 matchup here for you, Auburn at California. These two teams have never played each other. Both won without trouble last week against group of five opponents. Hard to gauge this one because you've got a new coach at Auburn. Cal, I mean, they've got some good pieces there. I mean, that Jay Knott running back that they have is pretty good. Uh, so I think this one will be fairly competitive. I honestly don't know if it will. Um, I think that Auburn's got a lot more talent on their roster. Uh, being an SEC team, even in down years, you tend to have a lot of talent on your roster, especially being a high-caliber program like Auburn. So I think that Auburn's going to win decently handily. I think that Hugh Freeze is a better fit for the SEC than Harson was. I don't think that Harson's as terrible of a coach as people have made him out to be, but he was a horrible fit for Auburn. Uh, just not the right kind of guy to lead that program. More of a uh, blue-collar program type of guy as opposed to the hoity-toitiness of uh, Auburn there. But I think Auburn wins this one. I'm not going to agree with you in the fact that Auburn wins convincingly, but I think Auburn will find a way to win this one no matter what. I, I definitely think there's more talent to Auburn than there is with Cal. So, yeah, got to go War Eagle with this one pretty easily. Uh Here's the biggest game of the week. Number 11, Texas at number 3, Alabama. This is where college game day will be. The Tide held on for dear life last year in DKR 20-19. They won pretty easily against a group of five opponents like so many of these other teams have last week. And it's going to be interesting to see if maybe Quinn Ewers can stay healthy the entire time this time around because he was really balling out against them last year. He was. He was looking really solid. So this game will definitely be one to watch without a doubt and is without a doubt the game of the weekend. But I feel like if Texas was going to win this one, they would have won it last year. And yep. I, I just can't I can't pick Texas to win this one away from home. I I don't necessarily think that the Bryant Denny home field advantage is the strongest in the world. It's a great home field environment, but I just can't pick Texas to win this one. I don't think that they have it in them. Yeah, you're right. I think this uh, home field advantage is actually kind of somewhere, you know, maybe upper middle part of the yeah. SEC. Like, I, you know, I'd probably say that there's probably you're, you're like five or fourth best maybe. Mm -hmm. So Which, in the SEC, that's still saying a it's, lot. It's pretty strong. But, you know, I, I think this one, it could be a good game, but I think Alabama will find a way to win it no matter what just because you know the game is there in Alabama and they have a hard time losing at home right they haven't lost there since Joe Burrow came in there and beat them in 2019 
So one last game for you here. Of course, we are Nealon's basement. We must discuss Tennessee. And they have a pretty tough game ahead against the Austin P. Governors. <laughs> this is just, the, forget what I said about matchup of the week and being Bama versus Texas. Yes. Austin P. versus Tennessee. The is pride just, of Clarksville, Tennessee. This is just an in-state rivalry that goes deeper than any other. Just the level of hatred these two have for each other. I mean, as I heard that some Tennessee fans are going down there to a you know, light off firecrackers in the wow. toilets of Austin P. It just, it's a rivalry that goes that deep. The governors are just the most hated in all of Knoxville. Realistic score prediction. I'm saying, I think we're kind of going to run the similar type of game as we did last week against Virginia, where it's going to be a lot of ground and pound just because I think that Hypo wants to hold the cards of this offense pretty close to his chest, not reveal any of the big plays quite yet. So I think it's going to be in the neighborhood of the score we saw last week, but I think we blank them. I don't think Austin P gets a touchdown unless we put in the second string defenders in garbage time, which we might. So I'm taking about a 52 to zero. I think it's going to be a lot worse than that. I think that it's probably going to be looking at like a 66 to, let's say three maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Something oh, like that. And I will say, Nico gets his first touchdown this one. Oh, well, I, I think that's a pretty reasonable prediction. Okay, that is going to do it for us on this week of Nealon's Basement. We will catch you guys next week, and you know, hopefully we will have some great games to discuss for you right back here on the program after week two.